0: Is prison really the horror shit show that we see in movies and TV? How can living in prison help us see
1: the ways we're making ourselves miserable here on the outside? And what can we learn from a guy who made a big mistake that hurt many people and then paid for it with years of his life? Michael Cass was originally on The New Man back in 2010.
0: Check out interview number 101. At that time, he was living in a state of uncertainty about his future as a free man. Since that time, he served a prison sentence,
1: and now he's starting his life over again. Today, we're going to discuss facing our fears head-on, understanding what we really need to be okay, and the things we may be doing on a daily basis that keep us from enjoying our lives. Uh, We did that interview, I think, in October or September or something like that of, of 2010. Is that right? The last interview we did? I think so. Yeah.
2: Yep. Like six years ago,
1: you had not been sentenced yet. You were in this big, uncertain phase, and uh, I went back and listened to that interview and and um, just just a couple of days ago, I, I sent it to you to check out too. Before this call, it was it was powerful. I was curious what it was like for you to to hear that. To hear that guy, who was that guy? <laughs>
2: yeah, it's a great question. I think it was the same guy that's here now. Except what I was expressing then, I knew conceptually. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, I would say the same things again, except now I actually know them as truth on a deeper level. Because okay. I I lived my way through it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I could imagine it going any way. It was like, man, that guy was full of shit. He was scared. like Not, not about the content of what you said, but just that... It's so easy to go back and kind of beat ourselves up or criticize who we were, you know, the younger versions of ourselves, and especially the experiences you've had since then. So I was I was really curious to hear how you would perceive that that call. And I get that it's it's it was you were saying the right things, but now you really get it like it's in your bones now.
2: Exactly. When when I when I re-listened before I did, I thought, oh, I'm going to sound so stupid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and i was smiling because i actually thought wow I, I wasn't actually sounding that stupid <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when our bar is i oh, wasn't that stupid yeah that's good <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get to go back and hear myself sometimes at a time and i was like I, I think that is the bar oh i don't sound too stupid i don't sound that that stupid i know what you're talking about I, yeah. well let's 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 go back i mean since we spoke last time can you can you give us a little play by play? Of what what life was like? What you've been through? I, I I'm I'm curious to just hear the story itself, and then we can kind of dig into what you've taken away from it, what you've learned. Um. So yeah, after we talked, what happened? What happened to you?
2: Okay. Um. You know, before we begin, I begin that trip. I wanted to ask your permission for something. This is the first time that I'm. Uh, actually speaking in a way that's going out to the public, you right. know, especially over the web. Okay. So the first thing I just wanted to begin with was an apology, if that's okay.
3: Absolutely. That, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to say um, that I'm sorry to the folks who trusted me that I knew what I was doing. And for the folks who financially went down, went down with me, that Mm -hmm. I'm well aware of the pain that uh, um, I caused these people. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to really, you know, out on public, you know, out on the web. I I really wanted to say that. And that was nothing, no malicious intent, but that I fully own that I blew it and that I was, I'm deeply sorry and I have paid the price.
1: Mm. I, I got that you took responsibility in the last conversation we had. What's different now? What has you want to lead off with that apology
2: one I wanted to make sure that, as I spoke about some of the takeaways from this experience and how it might help others, that no one came up no one got the feeling that I was bypassing that piece okay. the the negative impact that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, because up until now, legally, I was never allowed to speak, okay you know, and to make to make contact mm-hmm. so this is this is my opportunity to make that contact to anybody who might be listening.
1: Um, like that was my next question is if you want to make an apology, why not contact them directly, but you're saying that's not been allowed. yeah, okay,
2: okay. correct all
1: right, yeah, thanks thanks and right. thanks for helping me understand that yes. too.
2: <clears throat> yes,
1: yeah. okay. Anything else before we get no. started?
2: No, let's do that. Yeah, the play-by-play.
1: Okay, yeah. So after we talked, uh, you know, early late summer, I guess it was late summer of 2010. What happened for you?
2: Well, I, I w- just went through that that my process for the next nine months of the stress of waiting to go. I didn't go to trial because trial would have cost. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what had happened was I had, when things were starting to fall, and I wasn't able to say this on our first our first uh, interview, mm-hmm. um, but I had moved money from one account to another, thinking that uh, things were going to, um, you know, all the dominoes weren't going to fall. Right. You know, if I could just move it, everything would be good so that's and it didn't turn out that way because everything did fall, especially with two thousand and eight um, you know that had happened so either way, I had committed securities fraud, so going to trial just didn't make didn't make sense and would have really pissed off the state okay so you did um, something
1: you think not thinking not thinking it was fraud, but on paper you you checked the boxes for fraud,
2: absolutely
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I mean it, it was fraud, not in the sense that it was you know I didn't embezzle, I didn't cheat, but what what I did is I had moved money from one account to another. That's fraud. you just't okay. can't, do, can't do that. okay and I had done that out of my own my own terror. Um, you know, and trying to save the boat from sinking.
1: It was that one one deal was going bad. You kind of borrowed from one to to cover the other, thinking that you'd be able to make it back and it would all work out. Was that what it was?
2: Exactly. Okay. That's, yeah, it's as simple as that. And then, okay. yeah, and obviously it didn't work out that way.
1: Okay. All right. And those people all lost their money and that's where we end up here. So you decide not to go to trial uh, because it doesn't sound like there's any point and it's just going to piss off the state even more, have them more against you. Right. Okay. So they give you a plea. What what happens?
2: Well, the, my lawyer would speak, spoke to the DA and, um, the DA, the DA had originally told the lawyer that, you know, they wanted me to do two to four years. And I thought that was reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a reasonable, you know, price to pay. Mm-hmm. And when, Sentencing actually occurred, which was in April, uh, the next year after our interview.
1: Mm-hmm. 2011.
2: Right. Um, we The DA came in and they wanted me to, uh, they wanted 16 years.
1: Oh boy. So they yeah. went from, hey, we want, to, want you to do two to four to 16?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, and it was a pretty horrible experience. Uh, That day, my lawyer was uh, totally flummoxed that that's what they what they wanted. And ultimately, it's up to the judge. And at this sentencing, it's not about me standing up for myself or me presenting my side of the story. That's what a trial would be. Mm -hmm. Um, So pretty much I, I didn't have a voice. That day, and I had invited my. All my community and friends there, I thought it would be a, a slam dunk kind of thing. I would get a few years and ooh, just just an awful, an right. awful um, try to stay present, you know, as best I could. And ultimately, the judge gave me 10 years. Um, and, uh,
1: and you found out that morning they were going to do 16 or when, when did you find out that they that they went from? You basically four to sixteen.
2: Yes, that morning. That
1: morning, wow. Okay.
2: At, at the sentencing, um,
1: and you know you're going to spend the night in prison, right? Like that that that's going to happen. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
2: Whatever. I I know that after the sentencing, whatever happens, I'm going to prison. Mm-hmm. So, so I did. Ultimately, the judge uh, gave me ten years. Um, I was cuffed and. You know, taken from the courtroom, you know, back into Boulder County Jail. Okay, and that was you know when I said goodbye, Mm -hmm. people, you know, to my people, to my tribe.
1: And you're thinking, I got ten years. What are you? Are you are you you bargaining in your mind? Okay, does ten years mean this or that? Like, what's going on for you there?
2: Yeah, you know, to think if I was actually going to do ten years, that would have been a lot for my mind. But I know that. Uh, I knew that people were eligible for parole in half of the time of the sentencing, and also that with good time, if there are no problems, that can also be cut in half. So if everything went well, that I would actually do two and a half years. Mm.
1: And I want to understand why do you, I can imagine you just being wanting to get pissed off and, and make the DA the villain. Again, we talked a bit about that last time, like, and take it personally and want to fight and kind of get entangled in that. Um, what's going on in your mind there? Like, these, these guys have it out for me and they're making an example. Like, what was, what was that like for you? And well, they switched that, the deal on you.
2: Yeah. At the moment, I was in shock. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying my best to, you know, hang in there and stay present. Mm -hmm. And it didn't help that my lawyer seemed like he was in shock, too, to be honest. Okay. Um, So in my head, once I got through the shock, I think by having had gone through this for so many years, you know, up to that point. Yeah. I just wasn't going to go back to, wow, I'm bitter. I just got screwed. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I literally, to be honest with you, when I was cuffed and finally walked, they walked me back and are doing what they do to uh, bring me into the jail. There was actually a sense of relief mm-hmm. that I at least now knew what the price was and I could get ready for this next this next step um, to go into bitterness. It's really the same as six years ago you know, when I last spoke, just bitterness equals suffering. Right. If I was going to blame, that meant I was going to suffer. And and actually, I didn't even feel like, you know, I had made a, I had made a big mistake. So, you know, on one level, it could have gotten really bad. Mm -hmm. The judge could have really gone off on me. Mm -hmm. And, You know, I was in a way thankful. Ten years could ultimately be translated to you know two and a half,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and I I could live with that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Okay.
2: So that's when I just started getting ready for you know this brand new, brand new phase. You know what uh, what I had been dreading was now about to uh, become real.
1: Yeah, and that that question mark of what what to dread had had created its own level of suffering, its own level of. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? How, how bad is it going to be? And then it's like, okay, well, this is it. At least there's, I, I heard you say there's a little relief and like, okay, this is it. I know what I'm up against now.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd already been in jail before I had bonded out. So that wasn't a brand new experience. Okay. So, so I was able to, you know, find my way there and then getting moving off to prison was an entirely new prospect. And I was I was pretty terrified
1: because you uh, there, had already done a few months in in the county jail, and now yes. you're moving to prison. So yeah, tell me about that. What's what was the difference there? You talked about jail the last time. So prison, though, what what was that like? Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, well, first place we went is the holding facility. It's called DRDC, and that's where um, it's like the holding house when anybody is about to go to prison, they go there first, they get processed, they can be there anywhere from two to five weeks, sometimes even longer. And it's a super high security place, Um, reasonably scary. I mean, they've got every, you know, every type of criminal Mm
3: -hmm. moving
2: moving through there. And it's like living in an army, you know, an army camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, pretty terrifying. Uh, especially because it was very new. You know, there's very, every move is monitored and um, because I didn't know what to expect. Pretty darn, pretty darn scary. Scary for like,
1: I'm going to be physically abused, sexually abused, like all the above. What are you, what are you imagining is going to, could happen to you in this place?
2: Yeah. That some dude is going to look at me, you know, as a small, you know, white guy who obviously doesn't have an attitude and, um, yes, somehow it was going to take advantage of me. Yeah, yeah. every, all the radar is, is up and it didn't happen. I mean, everything went fine. I was only there for about two weeks. Um, but then I get transferred to another place um, called Cell house five, which is down in Canyon city, which is another holding area. And this is a wild place. It, I, the way I call it is it's a mix between if you remember Star, in one of the first Star Wars movies, there's a bar where all the different aliens.
1: Right. The cantina. Yeah.
2: go. Right. Right. And everybody's crazy and they're pretty raucous. Um, it was a mix between that and the wild, wild west. Really? Um, yeah. Just uh, every cell is tiny. There's two people in it. There's hardly room to walk. There's an open toilet and a bunk bed. And then there are bars and all the bars are colored, different neon colors, which is like a psychedelic trip. Um, there's zero privacy. And just like in the movies, um, people are sending messages with, uh, you know, fish, not real fish hooks, but you know, any kind of wire or paper clips, uh, anything like that. They're dropping them messages through the tiers. It's a really wild place. Super, super loud. Stays loud twenty four seven. Pretty, pretty intimidating for yeah. a first time, first time guy.
1: And were and you threatened there, or was this because it sounds like the other place had a lot more? It was much more regimented than this. Was much more wild. It sounds like you'd be more threatened there.
2: That's sure, that sure was my fear. That's the biggest fear. But I wasn't. You know, ultimately, you know, I stayed to myself, just, you know, did my, did my thing. And it made me see how much, what a difference it is, what my fears are than what reality is. Because I was terrified. I mean, fear doesn't really, you know, doesn't really cut it. I was terrified. And actually nothing bad happened except for the fact that it's a crazy, you know, bit of a crazy nuthouse.
1: And so were your fears unwarranted? Did you see other people being taken advantage of and you got lucky or, or what?
2: No, I, I would say they were, I mean, they're appropriate, mm-hmm. you know, normal and unwarranted, meaning they weren't, it wasn't like going in there was going to be dangerous for a guy like me who could, you know, who was present and, uh, you know, could figure out you know, how to move. So okay. yes, it, it was unwarranted. Okay. I would say.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it. Because we just see so much, you know, if you watch any kind of program on TV, it's about, and it, it's about prison. It's just a nightmare. <laughs>
2: so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it's this interesting cross between a nightmare, but it's also not, it's not really what it looks like on TV either. Okay. All right. uh, of course, I hadn't been to prison yet.
1: You're still in this holding facility. It's a little wild, wild west. And, and you, how long were you there?
2: Well, people can end up there for weeks as well. Uh, I was only there for a day and a half. And th- I, thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know where I was going. I hear all these rumors about all the different places. Um, finally, I, I end up in the oldest uh, prison, state prison in Colorado. And when I remember when I was first led there, so I have no idea what to expect. And I'm led into a cell. Um, uh, my, uh, cellmate, they're called cellies are, um, he was, you know, had a beard, uh, maybe uh, easily 12 to 16 inches long, a white dude. And he was in for a double life sentence, no chance of parole. And this was the guy they were throwing me in with. And it was a tiny little cell, no windows. Hmm. And then my terror went up to a whole new level. Um, And I remember the first, literally how I got through that first day, within the first hour, I knew that I had to make friends somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and what was you
1: know, he in for? What did he have a double life sentence for?
2: Um, he was in for kidnapping and attempted murder,
1: All I right. believe. And here yeah. you are, securities fraud, <laughs> with a guy <laughs> with a kidnap and an attempted murder. Okay. All right. right.
2: And, and the truth is, is when somebody's in with no chance of parole, and they're in for life, they really don't care what they can do, because there's no uh, death penalty. in There's Colorado. nothing to
1: lose for them, essentially.
2: There's nothing to lose. And that is actually the truth.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, I, I was just praying that this guy has, you know, somewhat of a head on his shoulders and, you know, that I could communicate with him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, that first day or two, I had no idea.
1: Okay. So then uh, so,
2: well, so then I used all my therapist skills and I made friends with a guy, um, who was this big, huge dude. Um, This was becoming a pattern of mine to take care of myself, looking for the big muscle guys. And I just started talking with them and listening, you know, asking the right questions, just like you're doing right now. And that is worth gold in prison because nobody listens to anybody. And this guy really liked me and he introduced me to his tribe, which was not a gang. That's just a few other guys who are actually really good guys and they really uh, I guess took a liking to me, and they showed me the ropes huh. for the first four weeks. They didn't let me eat alone because what happens is when a new guy comes into prison, everybody is watching. They're watching how they walk, is their confidence. are they you know really terrified? And anybody who they see as a possible victim will get victimized,
1: okay, and yeah. let me ask you something. I mean, how do you walk up to the biggest guy in there? and work your way in without looking like, looking weak, I guess. Like, I can imagine there's a thing of like, I've got to look strong. Like, you know, how do, I, I don't want to jump over yeah. that. What was that approach like for you?
2: I mean, I faked it. You know, I just faked that I had my shit together. Um, and I do what works in the real world. I just started asking questions. You know, within minutes, I sort of made the questions a little bit more, you know, personal about, the guy I was talking to. And, and that worked, huh. you know? Yeah. And you was, developed I, a
1: real connection with him. You got to actually get to know him a little bit. He, that feels good. feels good to have somebody be curious about us and genuinely want to know about us. And, and you got, you, you got some protection there. You got, you got your, some people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. R- right away. So that just made me feel a lot more secure through mm-hmm. the first weeks as I was getting away of the land. Because it's like living in it, like moving to a new town or a new city, whole set of different rules and having to learn those rules, you know, how to be, how to act, how to connect with others is really key.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and then at the end of the day, I mean, what, what I found out is these are all, they're all pretty normal people. Mm. Like people people are people, they're, most of them. You know, Mm -hmm. not all, um, but they're not like a, a bunch of psychopaths.
1: Hmm. These are, these are people that made some bad choices and they're paying for them.
2: Right. Right. Some of them made, you know, most of them made mistakes due to alcohol or drugs. Um, some of them are, you know, just career criminals. Um, yeah. And others just made, made stupid mistakes Mm -hmm. and behind it all. No one was a bad or evil being. Maybe I shouldn't say no one, but very, very few.
1: Did you get a chance to connect with the guy that you were, your, your cellmate? Or were you able to kind of pierce that, that, that relationship?
2: Yeah, by doing the same thing, by you know talking to him, being interested. Uh, again, that's gold in, mm-hmm. in prison. He ultimately became my friend, um, and he was another protector. He said, if anybody ever looks at you wrong... You let me know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> said, I'll kill them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I believed him. <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I'll, I'll kill somebody <laughs> for you.
2: Wow. Right.
1: And you believed him. Yeah. That, that's the powerful part. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it made me feel really safe. Okay. Um, and and it, it, in prison, it's so much about respect. And just respecting people, um, I had some interesting lessons around this. But it's about treating your fellow inmates with respect, mm. you know, however that looks. And uh, what are the lessons
1: go- there? What do you want to talk about there?
2: Uh, well, the few times that I, you know, after a while, I just started getting comfortable.
3: Mm.
1: You
2: know, this was this was my new life, and you know, I had made I made other you know friends slash acquaintances. Um, one was, uh, a mob boss, uh, a big, a pretty big time
3: mm-hmm.
2: mob boss. And we played, um, we played poker at night. We played poker for postage stamps, which was sort of a trip also after dealing with millions of dollars and getting into these poker games, right. you know, for 47 cents stamps. But that was our, you know, way of my way of being social. Okay. And, I became friends with this mob boss and people like me because I'm interested in mm-hmm. them. So he became a good friend. And one day we were hanging out in my cell with four other four other guys. And um, this guy was complaining. And I said, um, you know, just like we went my kid around with each other out here. Like, stop complaining. You sound like a girl. OK, <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you don't do that. You don't do it in prison. You don't do it when there are other guys around, and you don't do it to someone who's really connected. And the cell went silent. Everybody knew this was bad news. Everybody just left. He left. He didn't talk to me. He ignored me for the next two days, and I could sense something was going on. Um, and I was scared, um, because these things don't just get let go. Yeah. In, in prison. And my fear kept coming up and all the places I would normally run into him, I wasn't running into him. And finally, about a day and a half later, I cornered him in the uh, cafeteria and sort of ended up walking back with him and just got him to open up. I was just apologizing for what had happened. And he let me have it for about two hours and said uh, pretty much how lucky he, I am that I had started talking and apologizing now because some bad things were going to happen to me.
1: He was plotting to have you have your ass kicked or worse?
2: Uh, I'm not quite sure, but a- ass kicking at the least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because um, worse, yeah, worse happens. And um, again, it was just th- therapeutic skills, you know, the ability to just listen and let him go off on me for two hours until it just got so vented and then it was done. Mm-hmm. And then we were, then we were friends again. And yeah. that was a real lesson to not let myself relax and talk in a way that, um, you know, we talk out here with our buddies.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not just that he felt he may have been able to brush it up, but then there's this whole thing of how he appears to others. Like, are you going to take that? Uh, if he appears weak to others. He's got to protect that. So I imagine he could forgive you pretty easily. But then there's the, there's how he was damaged, uh, you know, in the eyes of others. Is that is that what you're yeah. talking about? Okay.
2: Um, you bet. Okay. You bet.
1: Wow. Yeah. All right. So yes. you learned that lesson. How how far in or into your sentence are you when you're learning this lesson?
2: Oh, uh, must be five months. Okay. You know, start finally starting to relax. Okay. Um. And and what is
1: the passage of time like in there? I've been on meditation retreats and it feels like an an hour feels like a week sometimes. And I'm just like wondering, what is the passage of time like in prison?
2: Yeah, that's a brilliant question. Um, Because prison is really, really boring. Really boring. Just it's the same thing um, day in and day out with a limited amount of distractions Uh, especially if you're not getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. So what I discovered is that time, (laughs) this is interesting how I've never put this in words. Time began to evaporate my sense of time because what I learned was if I thought about tomorrow or thought about, um, I can't wait for this year to end or I can't wait for this sense to end. If I focused on the future, time would stop to a crawl and it would go so slow. And I learned this right away. So what I did is I got totally into the moment every day mm. and the days would fly by Then mm. weeks would fly by because I, it wasn't even a factor because I was in the moment. Well, it's also it was,
1: something you stop tracking altogether. Like when, you know, here outside, I've got a schedule and I'm always thinking about time, but in there, it's like I got nowhere else to be. This is it.
2: That's right. So I was squeezed, and that squeezing was an action in the, the end run was an incredible gift because it forced me to write, never look into the future. Hmm. Just be here now. And I would I would. was funny, I would call people, call friends, um, and people are stressed out beyond belief. And I, what I was learning is, as I settled in to prison and don't get any ideas like it was it's a fun place to be. This was not a, a federal you know country club. I was in um, medium security prison. Um, which is a pretty rough place to be for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But I discovered that if I could stay in the moment and find gratitude for things, which is another thing I don't want to talk about later, that when I called out to my friends, my tribe, I realized that I was happier than any of them. Because it seems like most of my friends were stressed to some degree. And were, you know, had their to-do lists, their businesses, were always had one foot in the future uh, and weren't particularly, I mean, some are happy, but no one was at ease is what I noticed. Yeah.
1: There's no way to really enjoy now if we're stretching ourselves out there trying to manage the future. Um, That is a painful place to be.
2: Yeah. And I saw that, wow, I was somewhat happy is not the word but probably at peace was the word and it wasn't because i was trying to find peace it was because i was totally immersing myself mm. in each each moment each activity that i was you know choosing to do
1: because that was all there was and there was it did you ever get hung up on okay the future is going to get better i mean i because that seems to be where we get you know, the guy that's stuck in traffic right now or whatever is that the future's gonna be better when I get out of traffic. I'm always I'm always against this moment, not this moment, the, the next moment is gonna be better. And that's where we create a lot of suffering. Um I, I guess it seems like you just had to let go of the future altogether, even though you know at some point I'm gonna get
2: out. Yeah. Yeah. I would have moments of thinking about the future. You know, maybe when I would get out. Um you know, I'd have some good food again. As soon as I would start thinking about that, within 30 minutes, I would be in abject suffering.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that was my big, real big lesson. And it wasn't, it was a lesson I just learned from doing, from actually practicing that. Right. Because to not practice it was to suffer. You know, that, there was a thing about, you know, it's a, sort of a law inside that inmates know is don't think about when you're gonna get out. Don't be notching off the days like you see in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody days off the calendar that they write on the wall. Bad move.
1: Right. Right. Um, we have this expectation. I've heard about POWs. I can't remember the study or, or whatever I read, but that the guys that thought, okay, I'll definitely be out by Christmas and then they weren't out by Christmas. Those those guys fall apart, you know, that they're always hedging okay, they bargained with themselves, I'll be out by here, I'll be out by there, let's just live in the future or living for the future is what, what, what destroys them more than just being able to be with what is happening right now.
2: That yes. Was, okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then the discovery for me was that what was happening right now was absolutely fine. If once my, you were
1: safe, right? Once once you had a certain level of safety, then the okayness was allowed to be there.
2: Yes. Yes. So that was step one, right? Moving from, okay, there's safety. Mm-hmm. Now, now there's okayness. Right? What's what's happening right now? I'm eating a meal. Okay, it's not great food, but it's a meal. Okay, that's okay. What am I doing now? I'm working out in the yard. Okay, that's okay. Uh, and then what I discovered, uh, I tried this experiment because I was interested in how peaceful or happy could I, how much could I, what could I create here in this shitty situation. So I started playing with gratitude, with actually looking for things to be grateful about. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to preface this so this doesn't sound too. Uh, New Agey or like prison's easy. Prison sucks. Right. We're in we're in tiny cells. We're eating food. Okay, that sucks. You wouldn't want to serve it to your kids. Um, you're being or oh, I was being strip searched. Okay, I mean fully strip searched. Right, a lot of indignities.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so I could go on and on, okay. but I wanted to get that point across that sure. it really sucks. So rather than focusing on what sucks. I was like, well, let me focus on, you know, on the good. And I started realizing, my God, there are a million good things going on. There's very interesting conversations I would have
3: mm. with
2: inmates. I was working out outside in a cage, a big, you know, big cage with full weights. Okay? And I remembered 30 years ago paying to do this in Venice Beach, california right which looked like the big yeah
1: okay i remember i know that place
2: yeah lifting you know doing bench presses under the sun it's Mm -hmm. like wow and here i was doing it with other guys who were totally into it watching these hawks you know fly by uh was one thing after another um i had a friend who worked in the garden and now and then he would smuggle fresh vegetables in to us Mm. and uh, eating fresh vegetables, which for most of us out here are like, yeah whatever. In there was, oh, my God, I have a fresh tomato and a fresh pepper. I'm getting live nutrition. You know, I didn't, never realized what a gift that is until all I was eating was canned and processed food right. for straight. So these little things were incredible gifts when I would have visits. Hmm. To be able to actually sit with someone and talk, you know, for hours when I'd, I didn't have that kind of conversation, typically, was a blessing beyond belief. Mm. Realized all these things that I'd been taken for granted mm. before I went in. And if I just looked around and opened my eyes, life was friggin' amazing. Not that it was fun in prison. But there was so many amazing things happening just in life, and if I could string together a lot of those moments, shit! Wow, I was actually sort of happy. Huh. And then I was saying, "How can I be happy here?" Like,
1: could you what? allow yourself to be happy? I know we talked about shame, we talked about guilt last time, and did you? Was it okay for you to be content to find that that peace?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. yeah, at some point, I mean, yeah, I'll just say yes. Okay. The shame process is another story. But I also refused to let the shame make me suffer because, I, you know, at some point I just started to feel, wow, this is silly. Yeah. I, I made a mistake. I owned it. And now I'm paying the price, and it's a real price. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what remorse is. The rest is, is just beating oneself up. Right,
1: right. So, I, just, I just meet men that, that kind of, quote, have it all, but they haven't. They've got some shame or they've got some guilt about whatever, fill in the blank, and it robs them of that. They allow that to you know, get in the way of them enjoying what they have. They're not even in prison, but they create this prison where they deprive themselves of the of the peace or the ease or the joy um, that could come from the life that they have. But it's this this piece right here. I just, um, but it's a decision on their part that says, "No, I'm not allowed to have that. I haven't paid for whatever, or I haven't. I'm not lovable, or some other really usually very unconscious thing in there that that robs them of it. And but they tell themselves, "Well, I need to have a better future. They get on this." wheel that you've described that just creates more suffering and i i'm just getting this picture i i have an opportunity to experience love to experience peace in this moment and i can deny myself that and i can tell myself that it's going to happen in the future but that's what creates more suffering does that resonate
2: yeah it totally resonates right and i think it's my story is common someone doesn't have to go to prison to have to have shame or make mm-hmm. mistakes. Well, right, so many of us make mistakes. Matter of fact, on <laughs> a funny note, in speaking to so many of the guards uh, in the system, you know, who I became acquaintances with, mm-hmm. I would say a, a vast majority said, yeah, it could have been me in here. I made mistakes too. <laughs> right. So we all make so many mistakes. Mine just happened to be a big one. Um, and then the question is how, for me, was how could I begin to release the shame. Hmm. And for me the answer was number 1, I had to take full responsibility of whatever mistakes I made, whatever I'm holding against me. And then two, I had to make you know my amends. And for me my amends were one, paying the price, you know, paying the consequence without bitterness. And then two, just looking at what made me do it in the first place so I would never do it again. Hmm. After that, what else can a human being do? The rest hmm. is self-flagellation. Right. So that began my process. You know, it wasn't so simple, but it began my process of letting go of the shame. So then I could just show up in the moment and uh, see what happens. Right. In, in the moment, in the moments where you know, pretty cool. These, these simple things became so filled with joy. I used to play, uh, I was transferred a few times in the second prison that I was in. Um, I had a gang of guys, we played Monopoly on Friday nights, but we would play, we'd get really competitive and we would laugh and we would trash talk each other. And I would look forward every week to playing this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the real world, it's like, no, there's too much to do. Can't waste my time playing Monopoly right? with guys.
1: I got shit to do. I got, to- got
2: shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> but in prison, there's no shit to do. Yeah. That's where the peace was. Mm. Um, that's what helped me learn how to relax and enjoy this moment. Cause I, I was forced to get off the shit to do right uh, train.
1: There's nowhere else to be. There's no, there's no other version of me to be. I, I, I um, the circumstances dictate that I just get to be me as I am right here, right now. Right. Uh huh.
3: Right. Right. Um, yeah.
1: And so was that kind of the plateau of, of your experience in prison? Did, 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 were there ups and downs that followed that?
2: There there were, I mean, there were always ups and downs. The nutrition sucked, uh, that got me depressed, you know, dealt with depression. That was, a lot of that was biochemical. Um, there were, you know, times of, uh, <laughs> uh, how do I say this? When things would almost, you know, interactions with other inmates, a couple of them, when things could have gone bad. You know, Mm -hmm. people, you know, attitudes and it's like, is it time to stand up? Um, There was a, again, you know, for me, it's interesting playing, you know, gambling, you know, even if it's for postage stamps, is dangerous Mm -hmm. in prison. But that became my social thing to do. And I'm a poker player. Uh, So I had a couple of scraps there when I was playing with the wrong, just the wrong people mm-hmm. who you know, don't like to lose. And there were some moments when I you know, almost had my ass handed to me. I mm-hmm. almost got beaten, beaten pretty bad and uh, just managed to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole thing wasn't – once I learned how to show up – in the present moment was actually nowhere as bad as people would be scared of and what people see in, in the movies.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what it made me realize and sort of get is that whenever I, I fear something, right? most of us have fear, well, all of us have fears about what's going to happen, the bad that could happen in the future. Is that when the bad, even if the bad happens, because that's what happened to me, the bad happened, it wasn't so bad. Right. That the bad was only in my mind. Hmm. And this was pretty bad. I you know I can say that, right? Because mm-hmm. it was, yeah, I was a really afraid of leaving my girlfriend, you know, because then I was going to be alone. I'm afraid I'll never find anybody else. And right. you know, most of us can relate to something like that. Um but, you know, going into prison, you know, into a real prison was pretty bad.
3: <laughs> for sure. And,
2: and it was like, wow, not so horrible. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing to get. And then translate for me into, wow, whatever happens in life, not so horrible. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm, I'm curious about that. So at some point, you you know, tell us a little bit that your sentence was reduced. What did you, or yeah, kind of tell us about, I want to hear how you ended up leaving prison and then the transition back into this world where uh, it's a lot different.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I knew if I just didn't get in trouble, I would get out in approximately two and a half years, which, which happened along the way, you know, I got transferred. So they transfer you. You don't know often when you're getting transferred. So imagine you're building a life, um, you know, you're in Florida now, right?
1: I'm in North Carolina.
2: You're in North Carolina. Okay, so you've built a life, right? Right. In North Carolina with your family and right, with your work. Right. And imagine somebody comes in tomorrow and says, you know, trip, you're moving to Nebraska. Pack your bags, see you in two hours. Wow. So that's what it's like. Yeah. And literally, you know, I'm building a life in this new city this new environment you know called prison a and then suddenly boom but well, we're moving you to prison b so that right. it's like this learning how to let go and surrender
3: hmm.
2: and you know not let the mind get caught up in oh it's going to be scary it's going to be awful i'm leaving my new friends but this is just what's happening hmm. and of course i would always have body sensations you know anxiety around what's coming. But if I didn't get lost in my head and remembered to remind myself to surrender, I'd start my new life somewhere else. And then I would did it a third time, hmm. um, you know, as they moved me. And it's not fun, but I've, I learned that it's not horrible if I don't resist it. It's just different. Hmm. I can imagine
1: point, you would want to resist it. You know, these, these the community you built there was what, was your protection too. And
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I have work. Um, you know, I was teaching GED to folks. You know, and that's that's pretty pretty cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. I had protection, had my acquaintances, I had the wait my social outlets, boom, all gone. Start over from scratch. No mm-hmm. safety, new roommates. Right, imagine now you're thrown, you've fi- finally made friends with a guy I'm with, boom, they're gone. Have to do it all over again in another small room. Mm -hmm. So the learning to surrender and let go and go with the flow, um, just critical. Mm -hmm. And and then there would be gifts. You know, in every new place, there were gifts. And if I could just keep my eye out for them, you know, when I moved to the second prison, hooked up with a bunch of guys that were really into working out, we would do these group workouts together. Okay, that were tremendously fun.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, The third place, I ended up working This was two years in. I ended up uh, having a job in the forest service. So I actually, for the first time, got to go out into nature. So Mm. this was how I was in minimum security. You have no idea what it's like after two years being, you know, locked up to suddenly be able to go into a national forest.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: You know, putting up fences and, you know, doing, you know, this manual labor and I was like, oh my God, just incredible. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, finally it's time to leave and I'm going into a halfway house for a year. Okay. So, you know, that's pretty strongly restricted. It's not a fun place to be either, but it is being out. Okay. And what I remembered is I would walk to work. I, I, I found work and was working. Um, maybe about two miles or so, two mm-hmm. or three miles away from where I was living. So I would walk to work in the morning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I would walk through uh, Cheeseman Park here in Denver. In the winter, you know, it might be 10 degrees, snow's on the ground, and I'm in awe mm-hmm. that I'm walking through a park with snow. It's like literally being in a fairy tale. Mm. So beautiful.
1: Because you you know what it's like to not have that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'd walked through this something, you know, places like that a million times. And I had never been in as much awe of Mm it. And my 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 most fun story to remember for myself is the first time I had blueberries. And (laughs) I felt felt like I was eating food from the gods. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um so just that kind of awe was incredible. Mm. in making the transition out. Mm. You know, they're practical things that were, you know, rough and challenging. But there, all of us have those things. Those stories won't be that interesting okay. you know, to the listener. Um, because we all have them, right? We all have our relationship problems, our problems with our boss, our struggles at work. And I had those too. Okay, It's just not that relevant compared to waking up to what's here the the blessing in these just little things just life itself and that's what what i experienced Mm. for a while now what's beginning to happen is those feelings are dissipating they're moving more into the distance and i'm watching my mind get more caught up in the to-do list right And creating the business and moving a little bit more into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny because with the horror of everything that happened, it also was the catalyst for really waking up to some of these gifts of -hmm. what it is to really be alive. And it's not so easy to hold on to it. This Mm -hmm. all the what I call the bullshit of being human. Yeah has a gravitational force to it pulls us down, you know, into the stress. Yeah. And I can feel that too, how it wants to pull me down. And the further I get away from, you know, that dark night I went through, the more I have to uh, sort of push myself to keep um, remembering that none of this matters as much as I think it does.
1: Yeah, there's a, it's a dream, right? There's a, it's a collective dream we get sucked into. There's a like you said, there's a pull. You had a glimpse of what it was like outside of that particular dream, um, and I'm just getting like, oh no, I don't want to lose the the, the gifts that I've that I claimed from this experience just by going back out into the world and having my quote freedom again.
2: Yeah yeah because that's exactly right on. And you know when you say having my freedom again, this big this whole story is about freedom. But what I really know right now is that freedom is not about being able to move wherever I want to move. Um, freedom is fully an internal experience mm. And that's obvious to me because I realized when I was physically not free. Um, a part of me inside was getting freer and freer. Hmm. And that's still with me because whenever I get re-caught now in the dream, you know, because of some stress happening in my life, I can go back to what I I knew, what I, I discovered a few years ago. And I can say, this is a dream. This is bullshit. I don't have to get all caught up in it.
1: Right. I can see it. I don't have to get caught up in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I can just do what I did in prison. I can return, breathe, return to the present moment. And if I look around 99 times out of 100, get everything is fine.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Everything is so fine. Mm. And it doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. You know, I, you know, emotions move through me just like they move through anybody. Right. But that peace of knowing that everything's fine and it's not a conceptual, it's not a belief system. It's a, it's not a concept. It's this understanding that the only time something is not fine is when I'm pushed into the future. I'm worried about the future or I'm shaming myself for my past and I'm locked up in my story. Yeah. Head, get out of the fucking story mm. is my mantra to myself all the time.
1: Yeah. It's and just sh- a story. Recognize the story. Cause I, the other thing that I get here is that you, there's a story we're all bought into, which is I need to have X, Y, and Z in my life to be okay. And you had X, Y, and Z taken away, whatever that version was for you. And you found out, well, I'm still okay. So there's this question of, well, what do I really need in order to be fine or okay? And if I start to believe otherwise, that's where the suffering comes in. If I if I really believe that I need, if I don't have my latte this morning or if I don't have that person's attention or X amount in the bank to be okay, I'm miserable, right? And also I get that we're kind of fragile in that mindset because we're really playing not to lose but if I if I have this grounded experience of I just need some very basic things in order to be okay, and I recognize that the rest of it's floating between my ears, uh, I can actually be okay. I can actually enjoy my life even if I don't have the latte or the the attention or the the money or whatever. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, you bet. Yeah, kay. that's the that's this that's the big takeaway.
1: Well, I I just all want to understand because there's so many guys that I talk to that have done really well for themselves you know, created on the outside, we're looking at them and be like, wow, this guy's got it all together. And it's the money or it's the title. And these guys are fucking anxious and they're soft. They're candy asses. And, And a lot of times it's because they've built themselves into this corner. Like they can't be okay unless they have all of this stuff. And they're just holding on to not lose what they've got. They've lost touch with, hey, I used to sleep on a couch in college and scrounge money together to get a Six pack of beer, and that was actually fun. I was okay then. Yeah. you know I know yeah. how to get by on that, but they've they've gotten to this thing of I won't be okay unless I have all of this shit and all of this stuff going on around me and I, and that to me is it's okay if you don't you know if that's where you want to live, but where it's sad is the belief that my life's not okay and and I'm not going to be okay. Um, that's sad to me where where we lose that peace of mind. Um, If you want to have that shit, go ahead. That's fine. I, I want to have stuff. I, I, I enjoy having nice guitars and surfboards and stuff. And um, But if I buy into this idea that I can't be okay without it, and that's what robs me of my ability to enjoy my life and to have love in my life, then that's fucked.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very fucked. It's backwards. And it's what keeps guys, including myself in the past, always looking for more. Yeah. And that's what I said before. I get more. Whatever that is, then I'll be happy. It was the answer
1: is always more. Well, it's not here. It must be more. It's right. Yeah.
2: Right. So what do I? What do I have to do? Make more money? Uh, save more of the world? Or here's you know the big one. I have to get more enlightened.
3: Hmm.
2: Right. That's another. That's another one. That's a lot of the guys I would imagine that listen to you were you know on a spiritual path.
1: There's a big scale somewhere too, by the
2: way, that keeps, keeps score of your enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all bullshit that the, even with the spiritual piece yeah. that I can get somewhere, well, you know, and I'm going to call it just, you know, quote unquote, I'm going to get enlightened uh, and you can fill in the blank. That's just a word. Um, but, and when I get there, then I'll be happy. And then I'll be at peace. Well, so i Well, I was
1: gonna say the trap for me is is um yeah, it's at peace, but it's also I'll, I'll be less vulnerable if if I, this is the trap that I can fall into, and and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think that I'm talking this way. Like I've gotten somewhere where I'm away from this. Like I I know this shit because it's this shit I'm in. So. um But there's a sense that if I know more, if I'm more enlightened, then I won't be vulnerable anymore. I won't have to go through the scary stuff anymore. I won't have to experience the grief that I experienced for most of my life early growing up. You know, I won't have to feel the uncertainty and the discomfort that comes with that happens in life. So whether it's more money and more stuff and more, you know, status or whatever, or it's this enlightenment gig, um, I'm just trying to outrun What's tough in life, and and what I'm getting from this conversation, is if you're willing to steer into it, it's not that bad.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: The thing we're running running away from is what creates the suffering. If we're willing to turn around and face it, go into it, take responsibility, own our part in it, and get into it, it's like, well, wait a second. This isn't as bad as I imagined.
2: Yeah. I'm actually okay
1: here. I can be okay here, too.
2: You got it. You got it. Life is, it's, I mean, I experienced the uncertainty on a daily basis for uh, you know, these two and a half years, and that's exactly what I found out. Wow, it's not so bad if I lean in. Mm-hmm. If I resist, it's really bad.
1: That's where the pain is, that's where, yeah, where it really sucks.
2: Yeah, yeah, and not only if I resist, it's really bad, but if I resist, then I get scared, then I have an attitude, and in prison, other people pick up on that, and it invites trouble. And I think there's something about that in life too, that if I lean into the uncertainty, that life works with me. Hmm. And as soon as I try to control things,
3: hmm.
2: boom, things go off the rails.
1: Yeah, it's hard. That's where it gets hard. I yeah, that's the yeah. You know, if I got the money, if I got this, if I got the the enlightenment, then I can control it. And that's that's the play. I, I've talked to so many guys at personal development. Spiritual development is actually a play for control. Right. Uh, and and I, I, I raise my hand, same thing. It's like, oh, I have to watch out. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. And then we'll have more control. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, like there's, someone. that's where I go off the rails. Yeah.
2: And if I have more control, as you said before, I'm less vulnerable. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the learning.
1: The boogeyman can I... can't get me. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Hmm. But the boogeyman can get us all. Boogeyman got me. And then I, by looking at, it, it was like, "Oh, the boogeyman's not as bad as I thought." Hmm. Oh, okay, I'm okay.
1: You know, sometimes, I, you know, we we are always. So many of us are so afraid of death. I can't imagine, like, it, what if there's some magical way that you get done, you get done with life, you die, and you get on the other side, and everybody's laughing, like, "Ha ha! Remember, it was all a big joke." You you were scared of this. <laughs>
2: That's a great visual because I think that's probably what's going on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, you spent your whole life being afraid of this and then look, ha! you know, joke's on you. Uh, yeah, it was an 80-year joke or it was a, you know, 25-year joke, whatever, but uh, the joke's on you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right.
2: I, yeah, just as a, as a last final thing on that one, that's how I feel. I've been a pretty serious guy, um, especially on a spiritual path, and there's no question the joke's on me. There's nothing serious.
1: You can't. You can't go through this without laughing at it.
2: Yeah. At some yeah. Point. And, right. And for me, laughing at myself at how absolutely silly I can be in my seriousness. Yeah.
1: How long you yeah. been out now?
2: Um, two years. Two years. And and yeah. what do you
1: what are you doing these days?
2: Uh, that- I'm a coach. I work for a as as a coach. Okay. Yeah, wow. helping other helping others do what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. Wake up. Show in the moment, show up in the moment, and uh, be less scared of life. Well, I can just imagine
1: creating life from this place instead of, hey, coach, give me more tools to get out in the future and get away from my present reality. I, I As a coach, I, I worry about that. I don't want to create more of this suffering by buying, helping a guy buy into his better future. If, <laughs> If we can't accept now, if we can't enjoy life now— um, and it's a it's a razor's edge there to say yes, let's create a better future for you, but we got to start from enjoying where you are now because if we get, I, I I helped guys create better futures before and they didn't enjoy them because right. they they never learned how to enjoy where they were to begin with. Um, and that was a bummer for me. I had to I had to do some real soul searching there. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm really helping people. So I'm glad you're doing this work. It, it's huge for me too. To, to like, can you enjoy now? Can you can you find peace in this moment? Can you be grateful for what you have now? And then we can discuss where you want to go from here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, ho- holding both simultane- simultaneously.
1: Yeah. Do you yeah. want to tell us about uh, where a guy, if a guy wants to, wants to talk to you, wants to work with you, would you, how do we get in touch with you?
2: Um, Phoenix system coaching at Gmail.
1: Okay. Phoenix system coaching at Gmail. I'll put a link up on the site. Um, anything else, Michael?
2: No, just I really I felt this the first time. I, how much I appreciate you and how much I appreciate the way you interview um, is a real gift, and I know that you are giving a real gift to folks you know all over the world who listen to your podcast. So I just have a lot of a lot of gratitude for you, Trip.
1: I uh, appreciate that. Um, yeah, I want to acknowledge you. I know this this conversation is not easy. I don't want it. To, I I don't get from you that um, like, yeah, sure. I'll come and talk about this thing. And, um, I think I emailed you, it was a year ago and didn't hear back. And then you emailed me again and, and you were, you were clear that it took you a while to be ready to do this. And, and so I want to acknowledge you for that. And, and I was cool with you not doing it. I just wanted to hear how you are. And, 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 but I, I, man, to come out and talk about this is, is a big deal. I don't take it lightly.
2: Great. Great. Yeah. It took me a while to get through the shame. That's mm-hmm. why that first, in the first time you asked, I wasn't ready. It was the shame. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, the shame is gone. Mm-hmm. So,
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, man.
2: Great to talk to you, Trip.
0: If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.